score and we need movies, good movies, now more than ever. And you need to listen to the Atomic Podcast. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. I am your host, Efren Guzman, and my guest today, you've seen him in many platforms. You probably know him best in G4 for DV Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, that Chris Gore. Chris Gore, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on, Efren. Ah, not a problem, man. It's a pleasure. And I know we've been playing phone tag for a little bit, and I'm glad you give me giving me the time to come on, so I appreciate it. Yeah, phone tag and Facebook tags. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, take me yeah. back a little bit. I'm sure you probably are sick and tired of talking about it, but for the people who don't know who you are, take me back. Um, how did you get started in the entertainment field, and how did you, you know, follow your passion and um, and are doing what you you love doing today? God, I don't know. It's weird. I think I think I have this weird philosophy that. Um, I could, if I couldn't get hired doing a job that I love, I would just make up a job that I love and find a way to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. So when I was uh, in high school, I got involved with a group of people doing fanzines, and I decided I wanted to create my own fanzine. And, and uh, at the time, fanzines, which were like Xeroxed and whatnot, this is in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, people created fanzines about music and punk rock or skateboarding and and I liked those things but I wasn't into it that wasn't my passion my passion was movies so I decided so I decided like I'm gonna start a, a movie zine so I just came up with this name film threat which sounded very punk rock and so I I just created a logo and did that magazine and then that led to writing for other magazines and then I sold uh, film start got bigger and bigger, then I sold it to Larry Fitz. So I kind of just created a job for myself. That sounds strange, but um, but that's exactly what I did. And then after having done that magazine for years, someone said that, you know, gosh, some of the stuff you write in film threads kind of funny because we, would, we wouldn't just, you know, review movies in a traditional review. I loved it. I hated it. Uh, five stars, zero stars. Um, we would try to come up with a unique way to cover movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, for example, for the movie Planet of the Apes, um, uh, the original Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston, we hired a dominatrix to review the movie because <laughs> there's so much there's so much weird fetish stuff in that film, and when you see it through that lens, it's it's a different kind of film. So we would always try to come up with a different take. Um, and we'd also pulled a lot of pranks, and Film Threat had a sense of humor. It was as much a comedy magazine as it was a movie magazine. Mm-hmm. So, so then uh, after I sold the magazine to Larry Flint and some of the writing got attention, some TV producers said, hey, some of the stuff you, you write in the magazine is pretty funny. Do you ever want to be on TV? And I said, no, I'm really busy. You know, mm-hmm. I'm really busy. I don't have time to be on TV. I'm writing a book. I'm doing film thread, I don't have time. And they said, well, just come in for an audition. And the more I resisted, the more they wanted me. And my first regular TV gig was on a show called The X Show, which was sort of like, sort of like The Man Show. Yeah. 
um, but like it was uh, more serious. And it had that sort of like Attack of the Show vibe because there were different hosts who had different expertise, uh, different areas of expertise, and it was on FX. Mm-hmm. That led to doing it every show. I, I never really, I, I see, because I wasn't, I, I never really wanted to be on TV, and I think that that's what led to me constantly getting hired was my resisting wanting to do stuff, you know? I, I just, because I, I, I didn't, TV would get in the way of doing the things I really wanted to do, which was go to movies and write about movies. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, so then I, I, every, that led to, the X show led to doing this show called The New Movie Show, mm-hmm. and then that led to doing another show called Festival Pass, and then that led to, just every opportunity led to another opportunity. So, um, and then, and then, I don't know, there's a funny story about how I got on Attack of the Show. Uh, please tell us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- so, so for that, I, um, I, I had done this segment on a show called National Enquirer TV, and it was produced by a guy named Gavin Purcell, and he remembered me and thought I was funny, and at the time I had just done this show for IFC called Ultimate Film Fanatic, and I didn't really have a great experience. You know, they tried to hip me up and have me wear these cool clothes, and they would write <laughs> these canned lines for me, which I thought were stupid, and, yeah. and uh, I really didn't have a good experience working on that show, and so I was like, I don't want to do TV anymore, screw TV. Mm-hmm. And then Gavin Purcell remembered me from doing this segment on National Enquirer TV, which I really resisted doing, and then he said, look, I said, we're doing this show, It's this was when it was called The Screensavers, mm-hmm. and he said... We're doing this show called The Screensavers, but we're going to change the name to Attack of the Show. And I said, that sounds like a terrible name. That's awful. Why would you want to call the show that? That's that's the worst. Mm-hmm. He said, look, I said, I'm offering you the job to be our film reviewer on a segment called DVD's Day. I said, okay. I said, I have three demands. I said, one, I want to be able to say whatever I want within reason. You know? Yeah. Like... I, I can just like have my own opinion, obviously not swearing, yeah. but I want to be able to say what I want. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I want to be able to wear whatever I want because I want to be myself on camera. I don't want some wardrobe person saying, ooh, we're going to make you look hip and cool and have the latest fashions. It's like, I'm just going to wear t-shirts and they're usually going to say funny things on the shirt. And then I also want to be able to keep all the DVDs that I review. <laughs> he said, look, cool. he said, look, he said, I can, I can promise you the first two yeah but the third one you can't keep the dvds because we keep them in a library on the show and i said well that sucks but uh all right i'll do it so um i that's that's what i ended up doing the segment and then i later found out that basically all the producers just stole the dvds to keep for themselves and then (laughs) great (laughs) and then and then the, the other thing is i tried to get around some of those other rules like on valentine's day i once wore a shirt that said, I heart your vagina. <laughs> and they said, well, you can't wear, you can't wear that shirt. I said, why? He said, well, it says the word vagina. And I said, yeah, vagina is a medical term. I can wear that shirt if I want. <laughs> and uh, they said, no, you can't. So I said, well, look, Oprah says the word vagina several times a week on her show. It's, it's yeah. a medical term. Yeah. Um, so, so finally I argued with the lawyers. And they let me wear the shirt. And I would wear it like every uh, Valentine's Day because I thought it was funny. And then I even got around being able to swear on the show. Mm. So I talked to one of the lawyers and I was curious. I said, hey, 
what if I mispronounced a swear word? He said, well, give me an example. I said, uh, well, Michael Bay is a total shafid. He said, oh, you can say that. So, um, so I even got around those other rules where, you know, not no swearing and whatnot. There's, there's clever ways to get around it. So I just didn't want to be like anyone else. Like I'm like you, I look at like, I look at like people that are on TV as mostly idiots, talking heads. They don't, they don't know what they're really talking about. You know, they're someone being fed lines from a producer who the producer knows what they're talking about. The producer's not good at being on camera. I just never cared. And it wasn't my goal to, you know, be a TV personality. And I, I still resist stuff like that. You know, there's a whole YouTube generation of people that are desperate to have that FaceTime. I, I, I prefer to just sort of like kick back and have my own opinions. And, and uh, you know, if it requires me to be on TV, I'll begrudgingly do it. Yeah. You know how they say like opinions are, are like assholes. Everyone has one. You know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of shows, a lot of podcast shows where everybody gives their opinions and people take for what they say as gold. Um, did right. like um, when you was younger and watching TV and watching movies, um, did you have it besides it? Did you have like an outlet, I guess, before podcasting? Like, did you talk to your friends about movies or like friends actually? Hey, Chris, um, what do you think about this movie? What you, what's your thoughts about E.T.? Did people value your opinion at a young age? Well, I mean, yeah, well, I would say I would qualify that that uh, opinions thing. I think that, you know, you have, a, I, I, you have a right to your opinion for sure, but I really believe that um, the only opinions that have value are informed opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like politicians talking about science. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I would prefer to have Neil deGrasse Tyson tell me about science. That guy knows about science, you know, or yeah. Bill Nye, yeah. you know. These are people who know about science. Um, so I, I believe having an informed opinion is something that's really important. I really think there's there's three things you need to really um, discuss a topic. Yeah. You need to have passion, and there's no shortage of that. Like mm-hmm. when it comes to people having opinions, passion is important. Um, and the number two thing is just grammatical skill. You know, you have to be well spoken. You have to be you know right grammatically correctly so people can understand you. That's a little on the internet. Uh, 50-50, and then the third thing is you need to have um, the real information. And mm-hmm. in the in film, I think it's important to have historical perspective. You know, yeah. if you say Suicide Squad is the best movie I've ever seen, I would say to you, you probably haven't seen a lot of movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I think it's important once you see a lot of films, you go, oh, okay, this is like this, or this is where this came from, or, you know, say the roots of, you know, Star Wars, where all the influences are, same thing with Tarantino films, you know, you appreciate Tarantino films more when you know historical context, when you know, like, where certain things came from, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, the the influences, I mean, um, so that that helps, so having the, uh, you know, passion, the you know, skills as a communicator, and then the historical perspective and information. Those three things, uh, I, I think, can qualify you as an expert. But usually people have about one and a half of those, but especially <laughs> when I see posts posts on Facebook and whatnot. It's like, ugh. And yeah. I just dread jumping into conversations because, you know, I, I, I'm not going to – I'm actually really – this sounds weird, but I, I actually – 
like not having an opinion about certain things. Like I actually trust, I trust other people to have opinions that know more than I do. You know. Yeah, it's funny. Like you know, what I call Facebook is like click and bait. Because sometimes I think people just you know do something just to get a rise out of you, so you can you know um, you know retort something back. Um, do you think it's like that sometimes? Like when you you know it's like something for you to say something, it has to really get your goat, right? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I think most of Facebook is about click and bait. Yeah, <laughs> and, and click and bait and find out like you know things people like or dislike and. You can you can see them sort of brewing arguments, you know, yeah. trying to test the waters of their friend circles, and it's it's gotten it's gotten pretty divisive, I think, a, a lot online. I, I feel like every conversation just seems to devolve into something not good, and it's it's um, it's disheartening. Yeah, it, it's it's bad, you know, like you know, especially like there's you know with stuff with like the suicide squad and then batman versus superman and then you'll see like 100 i'm sure you get like 150 posts and white people say it's good it's bad it's good it's bad you know everybody has an opinion but you know some opinions like you know i would in my opinion are not valid and some opinions probably are valid but you know that's why i think it's it this kind of forum you know everyone gets involved in it because everyone is passionate about what they're talking about it could be from movies to film to television to whatever correct yeah no absolutely i agree 100 percent. yeah um um did, did you have like any other interests besides film like was you like a big sports guy or you or yeah it's it's weird when it comes to other stuff i mean film is my primary thing but i do have passion it's weird. I love sports. I I love. Uh, I mean, football. The NFL is probably my favorite, um, followed by hockey and then baseball and, and basketball. I like. I, I always. I to me, like for my because it's weird because like I'm definitely a nerd, but I'm a nerd with that has other interests. So I love sports because I think sports teaches us lessons. You know, sports is all about. You know, you see the drama and you see like you know, what's at stake with, like, this player or this coach used to used to coach this quarterback, but now he's on the other team, so there's, like, a matchup that's, like, I, I get caught up in the drama. It's like watching it's like watching a documentary unfold live yeah. um, every three-hour NFL contest. So I do love that. And I also love comic books. You know, yeah. I grew up reading comic books and, and just, you know, from Marvel comic books to DC and then back to DC. I sort of, like, vacillate back and forth between DC and Marvel depending on what interesting stuff is going on in those universes but uh, but pretty amazing stuff so so yeah so I I do sort of a lot of those passions cross over and now of course we're living in like the golden age of television where I think statistically speaking if you choose well when it comes to watching TV you're going to have a good experience whereas the movies have become less reliable when you go to the movies now you've got maybe a 50-50 shot of seeing a decent film Sometimes less of a percentage, you know, depending on the time of year. So, uh, but but television, there's so much good television. I don't have time to watch it all. You know, I find friends recommending you got to see Stranger Things. Well, now you got to watch this. You got to watch this. Yeah. And binge watching has become like a thing, and and um, it's difficult to 
have that balance to be able to absorb all this stuff. I still haven't seen Mr. Robot, and everybody raves about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know the I, thing I, is, I, there's always a, there's always a flavor of the month because if it's not Narcos, it's Stranger Things. If it's not Stranger Things, you know, it's Orange is the New Black. You know, there's always a trend on a show or a film or some you know or some kind of form. Um, you know, with the TV landscape changing dramatically, especially with the comic book television shows and um, the Netflix shows. Um, do you, you know, you said this is the golden age. Do you think this is TV at its peak with comic influences or you think it's still more yet to come? Uh, I think there'll be more, even more yet to come. Wow. I mean, now Hulu, now Hulu is getting in the Marvel business, you know, and I think, I think I have a theory as to why comic book properties end up being really good movies and television shows. What's your theory? Can I explain my theory? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write this as an essay on film threat, but effectively what it is is, you know, the reason television is so good is is it's not, I believe it's, it's, um, it's, it's a team effort, right? And mm -hmm. you've got a writer's room, you've got all these people saying, without ego, although there is ego involved, <laughs> of course. Um, you've got people saying, hey, let's look for the best ideas. Not necessarily my idea, but the best idea. So, so, Comic books have done that, where you've got like certain characters that have been around for 75 years. You know, we're talking Batman and Superman and whatnot. When these characters have been around for 75 years, you have all sorts of comic book writers contributing ideas, right? Yeah. You know, when Batman first started, he was just the Batman. Mm -hmm. Then someone added Robin. Yeah. Then Commissioner Gordon... Commissioner Gordon was actually something that started in the Batman television show in the 60s, 1966, and then Commissioner Gordon then worked his way into the comic books, right? Yeah. So, so, and then Harley Quinn, the character of Harley Quinn, was created by Paul Dini in the animated show, and then this character from the animated show made her way into the comic books and then the movies, so... What you've got is you've got all these great creative minds over the course of decades contributing ideas to a mythos so that when a director like Chris Nolan comes along, he can say, hey, I'm just going to cherry pick the best ideas, the best ideas. And then he creates, of course, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and then The Dark Knight Rises, which I think is a flawed film, but still, still a, a, an accomplishment. Um, I think The Dark Knight is probably the most perfect Batman movie be ever made yeah. um so so i think that that's why comic book properties you 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 can just sort of grab a run of comic books 25 30 hundreds of comic books you can flip through them and you go oh here's a really good idea this is a good idea i mean look at the walking dead look at like look at like the daredevil television show look yeah. at like all of this great you know marvel programming on television and now in the in i mean like captain america civil war is like I mean that it, it, that that fight at the airport is like a splash page, and that's that's they said that that's the way they approached it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you open up a, a page in a comic book and it's a two-page spread, and there's all sorts of stuff happening where yeah. your eye can't absorb it all, and that's that's kind of like what that fight was in Civil War. It was it was insanely cool. So so that's why I believe that that comic book to movie or television translation has been so successful it's because you can go into a writer's room sit around with a group of five or ten people 
who are television writers, throw down a stack of hundreds of comic books, and you've got all the story material to begin with. You know, it's not just spitballing ideas. It's, here, we're going to start with a pile of comic books, and from this we're going to create um, a television series and or uh, a movie or a series of movies. Like, the, the Marvel films are now, it's like every Marvel movie is just a continuation of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I, 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 I can't wait for 10 years from now to be able to go and just watch all 30, 40, 50 of the Marvel movies that by then that will have been made because it'll be like one ongoing television show. Yeah, and you know, you see the technology and like the CGI gets better and better in each movie. If you see Iron Man and you watch the latest movie, Civil War, you know, so many things have changed. And especially watching Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire and seeing the Spider-Man translated on screen in Civil War, totally different. What what they've done with special effects and, and what they've done with the actors, you know, the choice of, of actors that they get. You know, they get, you know, big-time actors. Not to say that, you know, one actor is better than the other, but, you know, you get actors of high quality who's done lots of films and television, you know, that, you know, translates well on the big screen where you have someone, you know, like a Benedict Cumberbatch or especially Robert Downey Jr. You get, you know, high names that want to, who actually have a passion for it and want to participate in it. It, you know, it makes it, it, it shows on screen as the viewer when you're watching it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in Robert Downey Jr., people forget that they had to fight for Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. You know, because that's when he was coming out of jail, right? Uh, well, oh. no, he had just had some problems. He wasn't yeah. out of jail, but, oh. you know, they were just concerned about his ability to be able to carry it off. Yeah. So, um, oh. you know, I'm just glad that it happened, you know, in the end, he's ended up, I mean, he, he went through a bad time and he rehabilitated himself and he, he got his act together. And look, you know, who, who among us is perfect when we're young, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's your time to make mistakes. Yeah. And, and so... You know, yeah. I, 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 I'm just really glad. I mean, to me, Robert Downey Jr.'s personal story is uh, is very inspiring, and I think that that influenced um, his character of Tony Stark. And and you know, God, it's just it's you, you know that's what that's what was so tough about Civil War. You know, you're 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 kind of like whose side? I mean, I was probably more on Captain America's side than I was on on Tony Stark's side, but Tony Stark wasn't wrong either. It's not like one you know. This, they were right and they were wrong. It was it was subtle nuances, and it really was. The Captain America movies, are, are, I think, are the smartest among the, the Marvel movies. So I look forward to to all to all of those. I think it's. I mean, it was kind of like an Avengers movie, right? Yeah, it was. Like, a, yeah, it was. And the thing is, the what what's so good about these films? Yeah, okay, yeah. What's so good about these films is, you know, you see the complexity, you see the drama, you see him losing his parents, and, you know, there's so much, like, story. It's not just about superpowers, and I think the best parts, like, to me, the best part of, um, what was it, Age of Ultron was when they were all sitting in the table trying to lift Thor's hammer. I just love the interactions with all the characters, especially when they're talking and they're relaxing. I, to me, those are, like, are the best moments of the films. Yeah, no, no kidding. The fact that there can be um, that the human moments are as exciting as the big action sequences. Yeah, you know. Um, also, Chris, um, what is your biggest influences in in film? Like, what what film inspired you to do what you do today? Is there any particular films? Any sets of films? Well, I, this is going to sound really strange, but um, the movie Dune was a big influence because 
I really hated it the first time I saw it. I was a big <laughs> fan of Dune, the book, which I which I read in high school, and I read it probably every year in high school throughout high school. And then the movie came out, and I thought the movie, and I love David Lynch, so, um, and I thought, oh my God, and just looking from at the trailers, looking at the way that the movie looked, like, like I, I thought Dune was going to be amazing. So the fact that Dune turned out so badly actually inspired me to create the magazine Film Threat. Yeah. That's what that's what that's what made me want to do Film Threat was was seeing the movie Dune and having it turn out so poorly. Yeah. So I think you can be just as influenced by a good film as a bad film. I mean, I love bad films because I think John Waters, the director John Waters, has a great quote. Um, he said, "If you if you try to make a bad movie, you will not fail." <laughs> so. So I, I, I think that's, but that's pretty important, you know what I mean? Like, and I look at people whose careers, they're just always making bad movies. It's like, well, but that person doesn't quit. That person, that person continues to do what they're doing in spite of bad reviews, in spite of being hated by critics, in spite of having, you know, haters out there, they persevere. And, and I admire that, you know, I really admire you know, perseverance and, and um, even in light of things being bad or something like, I don't know if you're a fan of trauma films, but... Oh, yeah, Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, Lloyd Kaufman, I mean, they're, they're sort of rebel in their being bad, you know? Like, they, they, they celebrate, you know, bad filmmaking. And, you know, that's where James Gunn came from. Yeah. James Gunn, you know, one of his first movies was Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah. And, and so when you look at, like, well, that's where James Gunn came from, and, you know, you just, it's, uh, it's, it's inspiring to me to see that, to see that, like, hey, you can, you can begin in something bad and then you can go on later in your career and you can make something like the Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that is so true because, you know, and Lloyd Kaufman and Troma, they're, they're going, they have Troma festivals, you know, so there's people watching it. They, some people really like to watch bad, you know, there's a lot of people that like to watch train wrecks and, you know, not, I'm not saying that train wreck in a bad way, but, you know, people like that. People like cheese factor, you know? I think it's, I think it's also like you could make the comparison to food. Like, I don't want to have, um, a steak for dinner every dinner. I would get sick of steak. Yeah. You know, I would get sick of lobster. You know, what I what I want to do is I want to, you know, I want to go to McDonald's and just get a Big Mac. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I yep. want to go want to go to White Castle and get a, get some sliders. All yep. right. <laughs> so so that's kind of like that's kind of like what bad movies are or summer movies, which are sort of you know brain dead. I mean, look, I, I don't want every movie to be like a heavy Oscar social issue movie or documentary. Sometimes I want you know something that's lighthearted. You know, um, I mean, there are, there are comedic documentaries. There are fun documentaries. There are, you know, um, there, I, I think it's, 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 I like to keep a very broad palette, a wide palette, you know, when it comes to, to my film viewing. It shouldn't all be about, like, high-minded art films. I mean, that gets boring. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of, like, films, I was going to ask you, um, is there any um, particular genre as a film you hate to watch or you don't watch? Um, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of romantic comedies. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, that, but you don't see a lot of those being made now. I'm not a super big fan of the young adult, you know, the uh, divergent, allegiant. I mean, mm. that doesn't interest me. 
okay. those those get a little annoying after a while. It's like you are the chosen one. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting tired of the chosen one kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, it depends because you know, there's also like that. That's when a genre gets tired. Someone will come along and flip it and reinvent it. So I wouldn't say that there's one I dislike. I'd say there are ones I like more than others. I certainly like genre movies, and and um, I like the big franchise movies when they're done well. So um, so yeah, my, my my taste pretty much is all over the map. All right. Um, going back a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about Attack of the Show because that's to me that was one of the highlights of watching television at that time, watching Attack of the Show, and you guys all had good chemistry together. Um, how was it, you know, you told me a little bit about DV Doomsday, but how was it like working with Kevin and Olivia and Morgan? How was that atmosphere like? Uh, it was great. I mean, like, you know, every, what, what, what I really enjoyed about it was, is, you know, different people having different areas of expertise. Like, every time I would run into you know, uh, Morgan Webb or whatever, we would just, she, she is a total, legit, hardcore gamer. She never, you know, she's like me, she never aspired to be on television. She, she was actually just working as like a PA in the background um, and was into computers and gaming and someone, you know, put her in front of the camera. And same with Adam Sessler, you know, being an expert and and uh, on games. What's so funny is every time I'd get together and I'd see Adam Sessler, he would want to talk to me about movies, and I would want to talk to him about games. And we'd all <laughs> just sort of we just sort of sit there and, and exchange information. And then and then Kevin, who's sort of like his expertise, kind of runs the gamut. And that's a guy who's like programmed and you know built computers and created websites and is actually a skilled musician. You'd be surprised. Wow. And uh, he has expertise that kind of is, is all over the map. So, like, in um, the shows now, you know, there's a lot of podcast shows now. You know, it was AMC, now they're Collider. Then, you know, there's Kevin Smith's Smodcast, and you have, and Kevin has. Like, um, what, if someone is getting into podcasting and just wants to hear people talk about films, what would you recommend them get into? Uh, well, uh, there's, a, there's a really good, well, first of all, I recommend that when the Film Threat Kickstarter fully funds, <laughs> this fall I'm going to be relaunching the Film Threat podcast, All right. which I'm very excited about. So I highly recommend sometime in uh, October, November to start listening to the Film Threat podcast. Another podcast, movie podcast I would recommend is uh, Proudly Resents. Yeah. It's a podcast uh, uh, hosted by a guy named Adam Spiegelman, and the podcast is about bad movies. Yeah. So it's all they interview the directors of bad movies, the stars of bad movies. It's all it's a bad movie podcast, and it is it is a joy to listen to. So, um, but I think it's important. Like the podcasts that I really like are ones that are built around personality or have a really specific goal. You know, like a really specific like like uh, how did this get made? Yeah. You know, like it's it's that's another bad movie podcast that is yeah. really good, but. Um, but yeah, so so um, I, I think I think I think the, the podcasts that I, I respond to the most are ones that um, have a, have like a specific vision. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I see. I see. I don't, there, there's a lot of them out there, and there's a lot of people saying, oh, what should I listen to? Or I listen to this, or this, and that. And, you know, there's, like, wrestlers who do podcasts, and they also talk about film. So there's, like, a lot of competition out there, and, you know, different strokes for different folks. So, you know, I guess it's just, you know, subjective of what podcast you want to listen to. But there's a, a plethora of podcasts out there for people to hear. No, yeah, no kidding. And, and a lot of good ones and a lot of bad ones. <laughs> just, like every, just like everything. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, Chris, um, what, um, what type of um, people have you met in the industry? Like, you know, being involved in the entertainment, um, entertainment industry, I'm sure you meet people who are cool, meet people who are not. Um, you had a lot of more pleasant experiences than bad experiences being involved in the entertainment industry? I, I, w- I would say most of my experiences have been pleasant experiences. There have been very few bad experiences. So, um, just I, I don't know. Like most people, mo- most most people in this business are just happy to be in it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's sort of the secret. Is like once you've made it, is just to be grateful and to be appreciative. And uh, that, that's something that I've you know, though I've resisted uh, to certain certain aspects of my career, like. I, I really am grateful that I've had the opportunity to do the things that I've done. Yeah. Also, before I let you go, I definitely um, I haven't reviewed Suicide Squad. I'm glad you're with me online, so I lo- definitely want to talk about Suicide Suicide Squad with you. Um, what are your thoughts about the film, and what's your takeaway from it? Um, give me your overall opinion on the film. Well, I, I, I think that Suicide Squad is a great idea for a movie, and I wish the movie that I saw in trailer form I wish I had seen the movie that was in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I think what the movie that ended up coming to theaters is not exactly the movie as it was advertised. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really disappointing. Um, I really would have liked to have seen the original cut of the movie as envisioned by David Ayers because I think what they ended up with was a mess. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a number of reasons for it, but uh, I just don't think a lot of the movie was explained well what it was supposed to be. And then secondly, I think that um, they, from my understanding, they had multiple teams cutting different versions of the movie, and I mm. think that that's, all, that's already a huge mistake. I think it's important to, you know, work towards one, one big goal, one, one vision. Mm. The other thing is, I'm not a fan of movies where the main villain is a digital special effect. Yeah. I think that that, you know, I mean, look, it didn't work for... Uh, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer with some giant menacing cloud. Yeah. It didn't work for Star Trek The Motion Picture where the <laughs> villain was also a giant large menacing cloud. Like, I think that if your villain is a digital effect, I think that that's a huge mistake because some of the greatest movie villains of all time have been played by actors. And mm-hmm. I think that we forget that. You know, like, like one of the great movie villains ever is... Ricardo Montalban as Khan in Star Trek Two, yep, that's or true. Darth Vader, mm-hmm. and Darth Vader was brought to life by several actors. You know, it's like first of all, you've got the the wardrobe and costume costume people who created the suit for Darth Vader. Then you've got David Prowse who embodied and filled the suit. Then you have James Earl Jones' voice. It took three three elements really to bring that performance together. And and, if, and and I would even include Ben Bird in that because he created the, the breathing apparatus sound effect for Darth Vader. So you've got all of these elements coming together to create this character, um, Darth Vader, which is, I think, I think if you look on any, any list, the greatest movie villains of all time, you know, 
it, number one is going to be Darth Vader. Yep. If you look at the very first Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've got kind of three main heavies, three main villains, and all played by actors. Yeah. And I just think that the biggest problem with Suicide Squad is the fact that I think I tweeted that it's like the best Ghostbusters movie I've seen this summer is Suicide Squad because <laughs> it's basically the plot of Ghostbusters yeah. you know I mean it's I mean at least the, the climax of it is the same as the climax of the first Ghostbusters it's it's ridiculous and it's it's distancing to the audience audiences connect with with actors and characters and and people People who have eyes, you know, you you, you connect with an, an actor's eyes. You look at their eyes. You look, you, you'll be able to look them in the eyes, and you can see, you know, the, the evil. If it's a bad, if it's a bad guy, if it's a good guy, you you know, you, you see other, you, you see the good in them. You see yourself, hopefully. But um, the bad guys are always more fun to play. But I'm not a fan of um, bad guys being being a digital effect. I think that that is a that's a missed opportunity and I think that uh, creatively it's a bad choice um, you know I mean Batman be Superman the, 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 the villain of the movie the big fight at the end is a digital effect yeah. that was just born yeah. you know it's this <laughs> monster baby that is just born and then fights Superman I mean and, and Batman and Wonder Woman it's stupid it was yeah. it's, it's not it's not something that you connect with um so i don't know i am uh, I, I really hope that that uh, dc gets gets it together because all you really need is one good dc movie to kick off that universe and there hasn't i mean man of steel had its moments batman v superman had definitely had its moments i think ben affleck was great as batman and everybody says that and, uh, gal gadot was was really good as wonder woman but but there needs to be one good dc movie Mm-hmm. And I think what people forget is there were a lot of bad Marvel movies before Iron Man. Yep. A lot of them. Although I'd say that Blade were, were probably, was probably one of the first good Marvel movies, but is not really part of the official Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. as it, you know, Iron Man was really supposed to kick that off. Actually, the Hulk, too, because the Hulk kind of connects, right? Yeah. Um, but, but I think that I think you just need one good movie, and I think the DC hasn't gotten it together yet. I, I, and I don't know. And Warner Brothers is certainly capable of making great films. I mean, you you look at you look at other movies that Warner Brothers has released. I mean, look at look at the trailer for The Accountant with uh, Ben Affleck. I mean, that looks fantastic. But um, they they really do need to to uh, get that ship aligned. Yeah, I agree. And what about what's your? How did you enjoy Jared Leto's interpretation of the Joker? Joker was terrible. I think it was just as bad as Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. Um, I think it was it was over the top, but in a in, yeah. a, in a bad way. It was he was trying too hard, yeah. and he wasn't menacing. I, I felt like I could have beat him up. I mean, he wasn't threatening. I mean, yeah. look, you know, look at look at the Joker. In the yeah. opening scene, he pulls off a robbery and kills everybody, yeah. and then he's the only guy left driving driving the uh, school bus filled with money. Yeah. Out of the way, he rips off the mob and then kills all the witnesses. Yeah. Then, then he goes and meets and meets with the mob and murders a guy right in front of them with a pencil. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how do you top that? I, I think that 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 was definitely a writing problem and a casting problem. I think with Jared Leto, they 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 didn't make the Joker menacing. And and if you if you read the Joker in the Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller comic book, the Joker is frightening. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely frightening. Yeah. Like, I like I, I don't think we would ever see a Joker like Heath Ledger. I think they were trying to stay stray away from that type of character. I think he he's more comic booky though, Jared Leto's character. It's more like comic booky, don't you think? Well, I hope that they recast him. I think that yeah. it's, I think it's a casting issue. I think same thing with Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg actually originally went in to uh, audition for Jimmy Olsen. Wow. And then and then Zack Snyder said, "No, let's see. What about Lex Luthor?" And he thought it was good. I think it was a mistake. I think I would have recast him, you know, after the first day and said, "This isn't working." Mm-hmm. Um, and just had him play something else, but it should have been. I, imagine Batman v Superman with Brian Cranston as Lex Luthor. Yeah, I know that's what everybody was saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, like that would have been way better. You don't need a digital effect. I mean, you also needed him to. You know, what was what was Lex Luthor's plan? A lot of things had to had to fall into place for his plan to to work out. It was ridiculous. It it was um it, it was an over overstuffed uh overstuffed plot plotty stuff i was just like it's way too much plot I, it felt like i was talking to someone after i saw batman v superman because i liked aspects of it that's what was terrible about it was there were parts of it i really liked but i think the, pro- the problem with it is uh that it's it's like they took story material that would have worked had they spread it out over 13 episodes of a television series but they put it in one three-hour movie Right? <laughs> I never heard of it. I never heard of it that way. <laughs> no, but think about it. If yeah. Batman v Superman like took place over thirteen episodes and it was kind of building, 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 you had other stuff happen. Batman solves some crimes. Superman solves some crimes. There's this sort of like anger that builds. It wasn't earned. Like too much stuff happened in one movie. I mean, the, the reason Civil War worked so well is this is after like you know all these Marvel movies and we've gotten to know these characters. They've had their individual movies. They've had this. And you see like tensions from earlier, you know, Avengers movies. You know, you've seen yeah. all that, yeah. you know, take place. So it's, it's earned. The, mm-hmm. the conflict in Batman v Superman was not earned. Yeah. And it would have been earned in long form storytelling, which is what Marvel's doing, long form storytelling. And that's, that's what television is. Television is, forget the format, because we pretty much, whether we're watching a movie or a television show, we're watching it on television for the most part. People are going to the movie theaters less and less. Mm. So it's a long form storytelling. And in that gives you so much more freedom to try things out. And I think Batman v Superman, if it were 13 hours of a TV show would have actually been great. Yeah, I totally, yeah, I agree with you. I'm saying I enjoyed Batman versus Superman for what it was, but you know the ending was like kind of you know you kind of knew it was gonna happen with the dirt and you know the right, whole right. yeah the whole doomsday thing like you said you know what what was online and I agree with it, it looked like a mutant ninja turtle and um, yeah, no, the trailers ruined it. I think that's part yeah. of the problem too is that you know the the DC DC DC's big problem is that their trailers have been so good. And, and they've told so much that they ruin the, the experience of the movie feels like getting it over with. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't hold anything back. Yep. And I think that that's what, that's what Marvel has been so good at is you think you've seen everything in the trailers and you've seen nothing. The whole thing, the whole thing with keeping Giant Man a secret, that was brilliant. That was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I thought I thought so too. But you know, I'm just I'm just praying that Wonder Woman it's is is, is going to be good and Justice League as well. So I'm praying that's you know 
the less we saw of Gail Gadot, you know, the, I don't know, like, she looks great, she has the, the, the mannerisms, and she has the pouty looks, and, you know, she spoke well, but I want to see more of her. Hopefully, Wonder Woman will be the standard bearer for DC films. Yeah, well, you know what, the Wonder Woman trailer looked great. Yeah. So... We'll see, because all the DC trailers have gotten me pumped, so I'm cautiously optimistic, but again, all you need is one good DC movie to write the ship, yeah. and then you've, you, you, you gotta let these, you gotta let the people that are creative, you gotta let them do their job, you know what I mean? Yeah. You gotta let them do their job, because they're, they're you know, how long are they gonna support this, these movies that basically end up, you know, being break-even venture. Uh, and um, my final question for you, Chris, is what would the Chris of today tell the Chris of yesterday? Uh, don't buy so much crap. <laughs> I just went through a major purge of collectibles, and um, as much as like I love having you know collectibles and action figures and stuff, I wish I had bought less um, because uh, I don't know. I'd have more room. So, what do you collect? Uh, you collect you, you collect the hot toys. Uh, no, I actually don't. Oh. I really don't collect much of anything. These oh, okay. days. I love to look at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love to, man, believe me, I go to the Sideshow Collectibles booth and I look at Hot Toys stuff and, you know, I see like this full-size TIE Fighter or the, you know, cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. I drool over that stuff, but I don't, I don't need to have it, yeah. you know? I don't need to, to have that thing. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would, I would, I would basically say save your money and, uh, if you put, put, Put more into experiences than things. Mm, I like so, that. And that's, but that's what I do now. Like, like I'm more about like, well, I'd like to travel to a con or I'd like to go to a film festival. Mm. I'd like to have this experience. And experiences, I think, matter more than, than stuff. Oh, I see. So I, I, I live, in, I live in, uh, in a modest place and I do have nerdy stuff. I just don't have a, a lot of it anymore. It, I, it almost looks like an adult lives at my house. <laughs> so there's no Batman table no more? Almost. Because you know, as you look around, there's nerdy stuff everywhere. It's just kind of hidden. <laughs> you have a camouflage, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Chris. Um, promote your social media. Promote Film Threat. Promote anything you want to promote. Sure, yeah. If you want to, uh, you know, check out filmthreat.com. If you go to filmthreat.com right now, it'll redirect you to Kickstarter campaign to bring Film Threat back. And I'll, I'll not only bring Film Threat back, I'll be continuing my segment, DB Tuesday, um, and, and as well doing the podcast. So there's that. You can also find me on social media, you know, at that Chris Gore on everything. So just look up that Chris Gore on Instagram, Twitter. Tumblr, all that stuff, you'll find me. And, and uh, if you want to see pictures of my place, you'll see <laughs> I do post photos of, of the nerdy stuff that's in my place. And, and uh, so you'll see it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nearly classy. Nearly. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Chris. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks.